We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Good morning, White Sox fans. This is your Sox Machine White Sox wake-up call for Wednesday, September 15th, 2021. I'm Josh Nelson. Last night was the return of Lucas Giolito and Tim Anderson to action, but as this season's theme continues, while the White Sox get some players back, they also lose some to the injured list. Andrew Vaughn is now on the 10-day injured list due to back inflammation, and bullpen pitcher Ryan Tapera is also now on the 10-day injured list. With 10 to 15 mile per hour winds blowing straight out in center field at Guarantee Rate Field, it was an evening for the hitters, and ball-in-air offense was activated for the Chicago White Sox against the Los Angeles Angels. The Angels struck first as Phil Goslin's fly to left field caught the jet stream out for his sixth home run of the season. A solo shot off Lucas Giolito made it one to nothing. Luis Robert changed that in the second inning. On a 2-1 pitch against Packy Naughton, Robert smashed his eighth home run of the season, batting sixth, of course. Batting seventh last night was Lurie Garcia, and he continued his hot streak with the hustle double. Gavin Sheets got the start at DH versus a lefty, which was curious with Sheets' struggles against Southpaws this season, but he made a nice adjustment to hit a grounder through the left side of the infield, beating the Angels' shift. Sheets' single scored Garcia, and the White Sox were ahead 2-1 after two innings. In the third inning, Aloy Jimenez helped out Giolito with a big defensive play. You heard that right. A big defensive play. With two outs, David Fletcher hit a deep fly to left field, racing back to the warning track. Jimenez timed his jump just right to rob Fletcher of extra base hits, but Jimenez ran into the wall while laying on the warning track and his teammates going crazy in the bullpen. Jimenez raised his glove to indicate he made the catch, followed by the peace sign to show he was okay. An amazing grab, and Jimenez survived the collision with the wall. What more could you ask for? Well, in the bottom half of the third inning, Jimenez singled and advanced to third base on Luis Roberts' 19th double of the season. That was enough for Packy Naughton as Andrew Wance entered the game to face Garcia. It wasn't the most well-hit liner, but Garcia got enough to reach first on a single, and Jimenez scored to make it 3-1. Sheets was next, and on a 3-2 inside fastball, 
Sheets destroyed that pitch for a mammoth three-run homer, his ninth of the season, and the White Sox busted the game open 6-1. Jared Walsh hit his 27th home run of the season for the Angels off Lucas Giolito in the fourth inning, but that was the last time Anaheim scored. Giolito in his return lasted only four innings, but he only gave up three hits, three earned runs, both of them coming off home runs, two walks, and eight strikeouts on 87 pitches. The wind was a big factor and helped Wash's home run in particular. Giolito's stuff looked good, and he's on track to make his next start in Detroit next week. The White Sox ended up winning 9-3, and the 6-9 through nine hitters did some work. Robert, Garcia, Sheets, and Cesar Hernandez went a combined 9-for-15 at the plate with 7 runs scored and 7 RBIs. Sheets had 4 of those RBIs on his way to a terrific night as all 4 hitters had multi-hit games and RBIs. Tim Anderson went 1-for-5 in his return, and the only White Sox batter who didn't record a hit was Jose Abreu. That's because Abreu was walked three times and got hit by a pitch in the ninth inning to reach four times. It was a good on-base night for Jose Abreu. Shohei Otani went over four with three strikeouts. With the win, the Chicago White Sox record is now 83-61. And fun fact, they have won 10 straight home games on a Tuesday. They have one more Tuesday home game against the Cincinnati Reds on September 28th. Tonight, the White Sox and Angels square off again at 7.10 p.m. Central Time. It's up in the air who will be starting for the Los Angeles Angels. They're hoping Alex Cobb will make the Thursday getaway day start. But stay on your toes with who manager Joe Madden picks to open the game tonight. For the White Sox, it's Ronaldo Lopez. Since returning from Charlotte, Lopez is 3-2 with a 2.05 ERA, making 16 appearances, which includes 6 starts. After manager Tony La Russa announced he's going to a 6-man rotation for the remaining 3 weeks of the regular season, I imagine that means Lopez gets 3 more starts. Lopez's last 2 outings have been fine. Not bad, but also not good, as he's allowed 3 runs in each appearance that ended up with more walks and strikeouts. Hopefully, he finds a way to generate more whiffs, especially if the wind is once again blowing out to center field like last night. The first pitch is at 7.10 p.m. Central Time, and you can watch the game on NBC Sports Chicago or listen on the radio at ESPN 1000 AM. Down on the farm, Jake Berger hit his 17th home run in AAA this season, but the Charlotte Knights fell to the Durham Bulls 6-2. Adam Engel went 0 for 2 with the walk in his rehab appearance. Danny Mendick, Yerba Mercedes, and Blake Rutherford all collected multi-hit games. With the loss, the Knights are now 44 and 71 on the season. Birmingham also fell, losing 6 to 3 to the Montgomery Biscuits. Jameson Fisher knocked out his 12th home run of the season. Mitch Roman went 2 for 3 at the plate. Yoki Cespedes was 1 for 4 with an RBI. And starting pitcher Emilio Vargas got roughed up a bit, going 5 innings pitched, 6 hits allowed, 5 earned runs allowed, 3 walks, and 8 strikeouts. Winston Salem got shot out by Asheville 8 to nothing as they only had 5 hits, and that's all you really need to know about that game. And while it appeared another night of White Sox affiliates all losing, the Kannapolis Cannonballers came through to snap the losing streak, defeating Columbia 6-5. Cabrera Weaver knocked out his 7th home run of the season, 
Brian Ramos went three for five, hitting two triples. And recent 2021 Major League Baseball draftee catcher Adam Hackenberg was two for five with two RBIs as he's hitting 377 in A ball. Scores around Major League Baseball. The Chicago White Sox magic number shrinks to seven as Cleveland and the Minnesota Twins split a doubleheader yesterday. Cleveland scored two runs in the top of the seventh inning to steal game one 3 to one but after leading 3 to nothing, Cleveland coughed up the lead as Minnesota scored six runs late to take game two 6-3. The White Sox also picked up a game on the Houston Astros for the second seed as the Texas Rangers crushed their in-state rival 8-1. Detroit Tigers edged the Milwaukee Brewers 1-0 in 10 innings. The Washington Nationals beat up the Miami Marlins 8-2. The Colorado Rockies outlasted the Atlanta Braves 5-4. The Chicago Cubs sent the Philadelphia Phillies back to 500 with a 6-3 victory. The Yankees beat up on the Baltimore Orioles again, winning 7-2. The Tampa Bay Rays finally cooled off the Toronto Blue Jays with a 2-0 win. Blue Jays starting pitcher Jose Breos had to leave the game early in that one due to injury, so keep an eye on that. The St. Louis Cardinals outlasted the New York Mets 7-6 in 11 innings. The Kansas City Royals leveraged a late rally to win a slugfest 10-7 over Oakland. The San Francisco Giants took care of business against the San Diego Padres, winning 6-1. The Padres are in a big freefall as they are now 74-70 on the season. The Los Angeles Dodgers keep pace with the Giants in the National League West uh, by breezing past the Arizona Diamondbacks 8-4. The victory clinched the Dodgers' ninth consecutive postseason berth. For the late, late game, the Boston Red Sox scored five runs in the top of the eighth inning to surprise the Seattle Mariners 8-4. Speaking of Seattle, according to multiple reports, including ESPN's Jeff Passan, they are hosting the 2023 All-Star Game. So after all the scores and action from last night, here is your update for the wildcard races, both in the American and National League. The New York Yankees and the Toronto Blue Jays have identical records and winning percentages right now at 81-64. and 64. The Boston Red Sox have played two more games than both the Yankees and the Blue Jays. They're at 82-65, and 65, so just based on winning percentage, uh, right now, the Yankees and Blue Jays have a the slightest advantage over the Boston Red Sox, but it's really a three-way tie right now between those teams. Seattle's three games back of the Red Sox, Blue Jays, and Yankees, and the Athletics are three and a half games back. In the National League wildcard, we have a new face entering uh, the wildcard. The Los Angeles Dodgers, uh, after clinching their postseason berth, they still would be the fourth seed as they trail the San Francisco Giants in the National League West. But the new number five seed right now is the St. Louis Cardinals. Yes, the Cardinals are making another late run. They are now 75-69 and 69 on the season. They have a half-game lead over the Cincinnati Reds, who are 75-70. and 70. I mentioned San Diego. They're a game back of St. Louis now at 74-70. and 70. And behind Cincinnati and San Diego are the National League East teams. The Philadelphia Phillies are 72-72. and 72. They're three games back, and the New York Mets are four games back of St. Louis. Coming up next on this edition of the White Sox Wake Up Call, I'm joined by our best friend of the show, Dan Zaborski of Fangraphs.com, as he makes the Hall of Fame case for Jose Abreu after a quick word from our sponsors. 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Jose Abreu is in a tight race to win another RBI title in the American League after doing so in 2019 and leading all of Major League Baseball in 2020 during the shortened season on his way winning the American League MVP. The last time a hitter led the American League in RBIs three straight seasons was Cecil Fielder for Detroit from 1990 to 1992. As the cool kids say, it's been a minute the last time someone three-peated the RBI title in the American League. Abreu has a very good career with the White Sox, and one day his number 79 will be retired, joining other White Sox first basemen in Frank Thomas and Paul Canerco. It's a long shot, though, if Abreu will be enshrined at Cooperstown. Or is it? Remember, it's the Baseball Hall of Fame. Perhaps we should consider Abreu's body of work in Cuba before joining the major leagues. Does that help his Hall of Fame chances? Well, joining me to discuss is our best friend of the show. From Fangraphs.com, it's Dan Zaborski. And hello, Dan. Thanks for joining us again on the Sox Machine Podcast. Hey, Josh. Always fun to come on. How are you doing today? Uh, I, I'm doing well. I'm about to go on a mini vacation uh, despite COVID. Are there tacos involved? Uh, I hope so, because I'm going to Austin, and everybody raves about tacos there. You don't You don't mean the Austin Taco Bell, presumably? No. Okay. We're not going to the I Austin make sure. Taco I, Bell. I always have to check, because I... I I am, you know, the taco Nazi. <laughs> Can I, I'm going to share a quick story. Uh, so from on White Sox Twitter, uh, there's a personality. Her name is Allie. And she got the new uh, chicken sandwich taco from Taco Bell and posted a picture on Twitter. And I kid you not, Dan, it looked like a Burger King chicken nugget with some type of sauce and a pita. It was the most depressing fast food item I've ever seen on Twitter. That does not sound very appetizing. I'm not against fast food, kids. I don't eat it much because, you know, <clears throat> this awful shape I'm in, I actually have to maintain this shape by eating fairly decently so I don't get fast food that often, but never, never uh, Taco Bell. Uh, well, Back to Jose Abreu. I, I have to admit your column on Fangraphs making the case for Jose Abreu to be considered for the Hall of Fame caught me by surprise. So let's start with the premise. Why do you think Abreu should be in the minds of Hall of Fame voters to consider his case now? Well, I, I think what, what it comes down to is how do we treat uh, baseball play that wasn't part of Major League Baseball? And the the basic truth is that we're not strictly going by what's major leagues. We we are properly enshrining in Negro leaguers, 
and we're enshrining people from the 19th century when which baseball's level of play was very, very low. Uh, you're not really talking a true, you know, professional sport with, with the same kind of, you know, culling of, of players until you get well into the 20th century. So you can argue that we're already essentially inducting a lot of players for baseball that wasn't necessarily at the highest level of play. But the trick is you have to put it in context. So I think that players that play in Cuba and Japan, especially because they can't just decide to play in the majors. Jose Abreu couldn't just, like, sign with a team at 19. You know, at that time, you have to, I mean, you have to defect. You have to that, – that, that's pretty hard for someone to do. Uh, so I feel that, you know, he played baseball in Cuba. Yes, we have to – apply, you know, adjustments, which are guesses, but we have to apply educated guesses to see what kind of performance it would have been or what kind of performance it compared to in Major League Baseball. Because, say Abreu, we're looking at him in the Hall of Fame, to not consider his Cuban stats in any way whatsoever, you essentially have to tell me that he suddenly be able, he suddenly became able to play Major League Baseball the first day he played Major League Baseball, and he wasn't the same player before that. And I don't buy that argument at all. And if we accept that he could have played Major League Baseball, and he was actually playing games of baseball at a very high level, why would we not take that into consideration? So that's the basic premise I was going with when I wrote this piece. So looking ahead for Jose Abreu, you punched in Jose Abreu into the Zips machine, and Zips thinks highly of Jose Abreu next season. In 2022, Zips has got 28 more homers for Jose Abreu at 116 RBIs. And Abreu's contract expires with the White Sox. And Zips going to 2023 still has Abreu hitting 23 homers and 98 RBIs. And then the age really becomes a factor. 17 homers, 79 RBIs in 2024. And 2025, 2025, 11 homers, 55 RBIs, and then all the way to 2026, which Abreu is going to be 40 years old. It's looking at a six home run, 34 RBI season. Uh, again, Abreu's last contract with the White Sox is 2022, and he'll be 35 next year. Do you think Abreu has to play until he's 40, Dan, to give him a shot at the Hall of Fame? I, I think he does need to get close enough to some of these benchmarks or milestones simply because I am not the average Hall of Fame voter. Uh, I'm, I'm not technically a Hall of Fame voter yet for four more years, but you know, theoretically, the average Hall of Fame voter does not think precisely how I think in the same way, which is you know, probably a good thing for society. You, you, you look at, at his, his major league performance and you look at what he's projected to do, He's going to come up short on, on home runs pretty much. And for a player, I mean, he doesn't have a lot of defensive value. He doesn't have a pretty relatively high batting average for the times, uh, which probably will not go noticed by a lot of writers. Uh, they'll say, he's not a 300 hitter. Uh, maybe I'm being a little maybe pessimistic. But I don't think he gets in as a 300 home run hitter. I think that's, that's going to be a tough a tough thing for, for a lot of Hall of Fame voters to do. Uh, but when I translate his Cuban performance, and I'm not even doing saying let's let's put him in full seasons because he never even had – they played under 100 games a season 
uh, a year per team in, in, in Cuba. With translations, it gets him up to uh, 433 home runs when you add in projections for the rest of his career. He could beat those. He could fall short. We don't know yet. But at 433 home runs, translations, and reality, it, it becomes very interesting. I'm not positive I'd vote yes on him, but like Jim Rice, you have to seriously consider it. And I, I think that's kind of a victory in a way that you have something to consider his his whole career. Uh, because I think it is something that Major League Baseball, or the Hall of Fame specifically, can do a lot better with. Uh, Japan, Cuba, uh, especially on a player with a player like Abreu, who it's not speculative that he could have played in the majors. He played in the majors, and he played the majors not too differently from what you'd expect from the minor league or the excuse me, the Cuban translations. Uh, so I'm talking in a circle here, I think, a little bit. But I, I think that this performance should be considered, and it should be part of what every voter is looking at, even if it needs a special committee to do it instead. With Abreu, if he had an opportunity, let's say like Luis Robert of the White Sox, and he joined the White Sox, and he was playing in the majors in 2000, and, uh, when, when he was age 23, so if you add four more major league seasons, I don't think it's far-fetched, Dan, to say if Abreu was in the majors at the age 23, he'd have 100 more homers and at least 400 more RBIs to his career number. Oh, absolutely. Even even without doubling it. Uh, from 2008 to 2013, it was it was like 100 home runs in the translations. Uh, he'd obviously play full season in the majors, and we'd chop off the home runs in the early projections or the, the early translations. But obviously he was a teenager, and those weren't, you know, very good translations to begin with. Uh, I don't think his his Hall of Fame candidacy would rest theoretically on a, a translation that had him with a 5 18 OPS as a 16 year old because that obviously wouldn't happen in the majors. He'd be in rookie ball or something. Uh, so yeah, if we look at it differently instead of just translating and saying what could he have done, that's obviously a, a larger stretch for a voter to make simply because we're talking about theoreticals more than just putting actual baseball games into a into a proper context. Uh, but that argument can be made. Uh, similar, and I, I, I compared him to players like Joe Adcock and Torrey Hunter, who were in the Hall of Very Good, and I think that Abreu could have, with a full career in the United States, be above that. I, I, I brought up Jim Rice, because he seems comparable in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. uh, similar types of players, had that peak, uh, and Jim Rice did make the Hall of Fame, even though I, I do think he was on the border, but you know, you have to have these arguments, and I have a feeling that at 300 home runs, he'd be, you know, one and outed like Jim Edmonds was. Now, Jim Edmonds, of course, I do think should be in the hall. But that's a that's a whole other topic to get into. Well, again, Abreu is going to need another contract because he only has one season left on his current deal through the 2022 season. Looking at Jose Abreu today and also taking into consideration the, what Zips is projecting for Jose Abreu in the upcoming years, do you think it's worthwhile for the White Sox to start thinking about a third contract with Abreu? I think it depends on what money you're talking about because every every contract has a dollar figure that it's good at and most have a contract figure which it's a bad contract at. Uh, I don't think he's going to you know make $20 million in any contract extension per year uh, unless the White Sox are feeling extraordinarily generous. Though I do think that 
you'll probably get a little more money with the White Sox than probably the projections weren't, simply because he's such a big part of the team, such a big part of the core franchise. I think he's almost kind of at that level where as long as he wants to stay around that the team and him would make it happen. Maybe I'm being optimistic and, and, and uh, sunny about that, but no one ever accused me of being too optimistic and sunny, if you get my drift. I, I, I do, sir. I do. All right, so let's shift to the team. How are you feeling about the Chicago White Sox as we have 18 games left to go in the regular season? Oh, I think that they have a great chance of the playoffs. Uh, I, I love their, 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 their pitching staff. I think that they're well-equipped for the postseason. Uh, and they've had, you know, yeah, you know, you, they, 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 they lost, they, they have had injuries during the course of the season. Uh, but I think that they're in as good a position as most AL teams are right now. Uh, the Astros are, are, are in a pretty good position, surprisingly, because I was unsure that the rotation would stick together, but it has, but I still prefer the White Sox rotation. I think that given their clear shot to the playoffs. I think they have as good a chance as, as even the Rays, possibly. Well, we did get some fan questions from our Patreon supporters. So, guys, thank you so much, as always, for your continued support of Sox Machine. The first fan question we got comes from Michael, Dan, and he's asking you, Yasmani Grandal, Uh-oh. best catcher in the majors? <laughs> uh, that's that's a really close call. It's, it's, it's so hard to evaluate uh, Grandal just because – He's so, I don't want to say weird, but he's so weird. It's He's like the ultimate stat head dream uh, in that he's so disciplined at the plate, and he hits it so hard when he actually hits it. He's been cruising since he came back. Yes, he has. Uh, I'm not sure he can keep up this pace. And I think if you were talking about going forward, I think if you say next five years, I would probably take Will Smith. But Okay. But he has a good case. I don't think it's clear-cut in the way some other positions are. Uh, but you you can make the argument he's the best catcher in baseball and not look really stupid or anything while doing it. So I guess that's a yes in a roundabout way. Yeah, because in the last three years, it's been Grandal or Real Muto, in my opinion, for yeah, best catcher absolutely. in baseball. They're kind of like the post-posey, I wouldn't say I was going to say posers, but it doesn't really fit. Exactly. I just want I just wanted the wordplay whether or not it fit. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that if this if this were to be sustainable, that would be absolutely insane. <laughs> because he literally has I, I it, 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 the numbers have changed slightly since then. But I, I come to the last week in, in the Fangraphs live streamcast that in the eight games he was back, uh, he already put up. Uh, more than a quarter of his seasonal hits. Yeah. Uh, at that point, it was like, it was like, it was ridiculous. It was like, it was like thirteen of, it was like twelve and thirty-seven or or something like that. I'm just trying to remember a split from a week ago, which I'm doing very inaccurately. But he has been insane. It's like, it's like you know when you like, uh, you have a garden hose that's on and you kind of pinch up the hose and so nothing comes out, and then you let it go and and a bunch of water squirts out. 
Mm-hmm. It's like his low batting average and balls in play was like the hose swung up. And then all these hits just kind of squirted out of the hose when, when he came back. Yeah. Uh, before the Angels game on Tuesday, Grandal in the last 10 games has been hitting 433 with a 571 on base percentage and slugging 800. I don't care, Dan. It's sustainable. You just watch and see. <laughs> okay. Well, then, then he's the best catcher ever. <laughs> if he does that, if he's a, if he's a true 1300 OPS guy. He's the best player in baseball and the best catcher ever. And I would vote him, like, I would just say just skip everything and, like, after a year of that, just put him directly (laughs) into the Hall of Fame and stop wasting everyone's time. Uh, Well, the next question that we have is not as happy, and it comes from Andrew Siegel. And Andrew's asking, what does Zips predict for Craig Kimbrell this postseason and for next season? Is his club option a good one for the White Sox to pick up next year? Well, evaluating closers is always tricky uh, because you run into the issue that they don't throw that many innings, but they throw very high leverage innings. Uh, Zips is actually fairly confident uh, about Craig Kimbrell. I mean, he hasn't been good with the White Sox. Some of that's a couple extra home runs. Uh, and those are that's quite a volatile number, and they come. You know, when you're when you throw high leverage innings, your home runs never really come at good times. So you remember them. Uh, I think that the option is a very flip a coin thing. You can make that argument, but you can also make the argument that the White Sox, who are not going to be the most aggressive spending team out there, no matter how much people would like them to be, there's an argument that they could do that more efficiently elsewhere. Uh, so it, it's actually an interesting question, which I'm kind of, I guess. I'm kind of ducking the question slightly, so I'll say maybe, <laughs> and we'll see if we'll see if Josh lets me get away with that. Yeah, I will because Jim often uses possibly as his way of ducking questions. Uh, so I'll, I'll allow your maybe. It's a tough it's a tough decision, and we always have the uh, Sox machine, White Sox uh, off season plan project, and it's going to be a decision when people are acting as they are Rick Hahn as the general manager and try to, you know, post their what they would do this upcoming offseason for the White Sox, they have to decide on the $16 million club option on Craig Kimbrell. If you decline it, then you gave Nick Madrigal away in a trade for a half-season rental. And when the trade was made, we thought, oh, this is a slam dunk. They're totally going to pick up Kimbrell's option to maximize the return for Nick Madrigal and Cody Hoyer. But I think what it comes down to is, that Madrigal, the, the cost of losing Madrigal is the same either way. Whatever happens is going to happen no matter what Craig Kimbrell does from here on out. So the question becomes, what is best for the White Sox? And if not picking up the option is a better solution for the White Sox, then it's, it doesn't really make the trade worse. Okay, I can buy that. I can buy that. Andrew, thank you for your question. Uh, Mark is asking, how much does home field advantage matter in the postseason? And how much of a factor will it be if the White Sox play the Houston Astros in the American League Divisional Series? It it doesn't seem to be a a big deal. Uh, Baseball has always had a smaller smaller home field advantage than uh, is is in other sports. Uh, It's it's simply not going to be like, you know, football uh in any in any case uh there's a small tactical uh advantage of of batting last but it's it's a minor one in the end home field advantage doesn't mean that much it's a nice to have uh 
But in the end, the better team will still likely win. And our last question comes from Trooper Galactus. And Trooper wrote, Dan, it feels like Luis Roberts' injury cheated fans out uh, out of a potentially historic season. What do his projections look like for the next three years? And what do you think the likelihood is that he will break the franchise record for wins above replacement, which is 9.3 set by Eddie Collins all the way back in 1915? The more I watch him, the more I think we are seeing a generational talent. Well, I think we're still a little premature to talk about, you know, the high end projections, but the way he's hit, I mean, he has a 150 OPS plus as we talk. He's a gold glove caliber center fielder. I'm not going to put, you know, the, the odds of, you know, a nine or 10 win season as, as super high at this point, just because there's a lot of uncertainty there. But I think that every bit of evidence is kind of pushing us to the conclusion that he's a superstar. And I think the White Sox would be in their interest to sign him forever as quickly as possible. Well, they already do have that long-term contract, but you're talking about forever. Yeah, forever. Forever. If his kids, yeah, I mean, he's he's signed right now, but, uh, I mean, only through 2027. I would actually, if you could do it, I would extend him even farther, if he's willing. <laughs> because right now, 2027, it, it still leaves him in his 20s. Right. Get some of those early 30s before you had to pay for the late 30s. <laughs> Got it. So, like, 2033? Yeah, go for it. 2032? Yeah, go for it. You get in 34, 35? Uh, you, you, if you want to save having to give your franchise player what could be, like, a, more than $300 million then, because we're talking about 10 years of revenue growth, hopefully, I think now's the time if you can if you can get a good deal on it. Wow, I I I hadn't even thought about that. Give him or or even just you know, give him club op. Ask if he wants to add on some more club options with really big buyouts, which which kind of makes those because right now uh, at the end of his current deal, um, the White Sox hold a couple twenty million club options. There's only a two million dollar buyout. Uh, effectively, give him more guaranteed money. Say, can we add three more years of a a $35 million club option with like a $15 million buyout. Just something, you know, you add some more, obviously the numbers I'm just pulling out of my head right now. Yeah. But I think you want to already start talking about more than the next five seasons. Wow. I, I haven't even considered that, but no, you make a it, good point. I mean, if you like him that much and there's no reason not to, it's not likely to get better. And that's, and the question is, do you want to risk because let's say he's at the point where you do want where you're that you're going, let's say it's the end of 2027 and you're regretting not extending him. That means if you had that regret that many years later, he had an awesome 2020 decade. Uh, he'll, he'll be, you know, nearing 30. He'll essentially be the team's franchise player. And do you want the White Sox to be in the position where they have to give him all the money that ever existed to to stay around uh, for, you know, a, a person who at this po that point would be very significant in White Sox history. I think that they're – I mean, maybe I've just been, you know, excited and exuberant because he's such an amazing player. I think that, that there could be a path where this would work out for both parties. Uh, so I don't think you just say, okay, we got to 2027. Let's, let's worry about it in 2025. Got to do it before then. 
I say the sooner the better. I may steal this idea for my off-season plan project come November. So thank you for the the idea, Dan. I, I'm going to steal that one. Uh, you can read Dan's work, including his Jose Abreu for the Hall of Fame case on Fangraphs.com. He hosts a weekly chat on Fangraphs as well, so make sure to join those and ask him about his thoughts like, how is the new Taco Bell chicken sandwich taco? And follow him on Twitter at DZaborski. And Dan, as always, thanks for hopping on the Sox Machine podcast. Always fine, Josh. Thanks for having me. That will do it for this White Sox wake-up call. Subscribe to the Sox Machine podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And also subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Sox Machine. If you enjoy our work and want to support us, visit patreon.com slash Sox Machine as we have several different tiers of support, starting at just $2 a month for exclusive content, ad-free podcasts, and website, and the first opportunity to purchase our new swag items. We also have annual plans that you can save 9% from the monthly plans, and those that sign up for the 10 War plan, you now get the new Socks Machine Pint Glass for your hashtag 1080 needs. Have a great Wednesday morning, everyone. I'll chat with you tomorrow morning, and hopefully it's recapping another White Sox winner. For SoxMachine.com, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.